Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, stepmoms, adoptive moms, my moms, foster moms. And uh, does anybody out there think moms are something special? And there's something different about moms. And one of my examples I always use is like when it comes to McDonald french fries or something like that. As a dad, I'm like, eat yours fast because I'm coming for yours once mine are done, right? <laughs> That's a dad. A mom is like, you can have mine. That, yeah. <laughs> I've never done that. I never intend on doing that, right? <laughs> and I'm okay with being a dad. I'm coming for yours. And uh, um, what I would like, um, I like for every mom, stepmom, adoptive mom, foster mom, if they would all just stand right now, okay? All the moms, if you just stand. And, uh, and, and keep standing, mom. You guys are going to stand the entire service just to, so you remember it. No, yeah, just kidding. Hey, um, we did this thing yesterday as a church. Uh, we had our prayer summit, you know, and, and uh, it, it's our number core value to depend on God and pray. But to be honest, we're not very good at it. <laughs> you know, we don't do it very much. Uh, um, you know, prayer is supposed to be everywhere. It's not a ministry in the church. It's not a side item. It's supposed to infuse everything that we do. And, and so our attempt is going to be to make sure that if we have the ear of the creator, it, it makes sense to kind of use it, right? And so we're going to begin doing some things, occasion service that may wiggy out a little bit at first, but hey, I, that's okay. Because um, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask the people closest to a mom to put their hands on that mom, right? And then the other people, if you can't touch a mom, you know, you can put your hand on the shoulder next to them. So reach out and put your hands on a mom right now. And because everybody in this room, no matter your age, right, there's, if there's a mom near you, right, okay, you can stand up to do that. Stand up and put your hand on a mom. I told you we'd be bad at this at first, right? Okay. Just get near mom, all right? Is everybody kind of reaching out towards a mom? Okay. And, and, and I'm going to let you know what's coming, Okay. In the future, we're going to do this, and I'm going to say, hey, in your little groups, somebody just pray. You guys, you guys ready for that today? Anybody? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're ready to try that today, right? If there's someone who's in this circle of a mom, feels like praying out loud, doesn't have to be real long, and then I'll close this off. But again, you know, being a mom is hard. Being a mom is difficult. And the chances are you got your hands stretched out towards a mom that, that maybe is discouraged right now. You know, that feels down on herself, uh, that maybe is facing some challenges right now. You know, um, maybe is thinking, I'm just a bad mom, um, some kind of struggles. And, and so right now, we have the opportunity to talk to the creator of the universe right now. So I'm going to give you guys just like, a, like 15 seconds to pray on a count of three. We're going to get used to this, all right? And I'm okay with being a little bit wigged out as we begin a new journey in prayer. One, two, three. Let's pray, church. Father, we're so grateful for all the moms out here. We're so grateful that we have your ear right now. God, you knit each and every one of these moms in their mother's womb. You love them. You care about them. God, every struggle, you've been there with them. When they cry, you cry. Help them to know that you care about what they're going through. God, I pray that you would just strengthen them. I pray that they would feel your, your pleasure, God. I, I, I pray that they will know, God, how much you care about them, God, how much you want to comfort them. God, I pray for any mom that's discouraged that you would lift her up today. 
God, if there's a battle that she's facing, God, I pray that, I pray that you would make that mountain move, God. And Father, I, I pray for the, for the, for the husbands and the, and the daughters and sons in this room, God, that, uh, that we, we would just show appreciation, God, to the, um, to, to the moms who carried us for nine months and took care of us so, for so many years. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Awesome. Hey, you guys are great. You guys do great. It's Mother's Day 2019, and it's my honor and privilege in a conversation called A, a Godly Mom in, in Desperate Times to talk about a pretty awesome mom. A mom who is a model and an example, not, not just for moms in this room, but for anyone who longs to, to chase after God and longs to be godly in the midst of desperate times. This morning I looked up the word desperate. Feeling, showing, or involving a hopelessness sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. Feeling, showing, or involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. I think we've all been there before. Desperate times. Her name is Hannah. And her story is recorded in the first two chapters of the book of, of 1 Samuel. And listen, not only did she face desperate, desperate times as a mom, but she lived in a time when the entire nation was going through a desperate time. It was that period of time between when, when Joshua conquered the promised land and when God's people um, had their first king. It was called the period of judges and and the Bible says, here's what it was like back in those days. The very last verse of the book of Judges says, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Okay? Sound familiar, doesn't it? Well, well her story, Hannah's story, takes place during the final years of that period. And, and, and here's how I, I, I want to unpack our conversation this morning. I, I, I want to walk through her story pretty much verse by verse, pulling out several uh, lessons and truths along the way about living a godly life. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1 or open up your Bible app. Like I said, we'll be walking through it. And the scriptures will also show up on the screen. And, and listen, one thing we know, even on a day that we pause to celebrate the joy of motherhood, uh, we still know without a doubt that when it comes to desperations and desperation, moms get it. Yes, moms know what it's like to feel worn out, to feel helpless, to feel uncertain, to feel inadequate. I mean, there's the endless crying and sleepless nights, and there's the nonstop messes and the questions, the discipline, the testing of boundaries, and the raging of hormones. And there's this simultaneous longing for the day when they grow up and move out, while at the same time wishing that they never grow up and they stay your little child forever. Uh, yes, it's a blessing to be a mom, but it's also a blessing that often means being pushed to your physical, mental, and emotional limits. It's sometimes feeling so alone and then sometimes wishing you were actually alone for just a few minutes of the day. It's doing everything you can possibly, everything you possibly can to raise your kids well, but knowing that there's just a lot of things out of your control. It's desperation that you want your children to make wise decisions knowing that 
you don't get to make them for them. It's that endless mental comparison that you know you shouldn't do. Can you say Facebook? But you just can't seem to help it. It's the feelings of inadequacy where you're giving the best you can. I mean, you really are. I mean, you're giving it everything you have, but yet there's this nagging sense at the end of the day that it just was not enough. Yeah, being a mom is that and a whole bunch more. And then it's getting up and doing it all again the very next day. There can be a lot of desperation in motherhood. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we meet Hannah. Now, she's not a mom yet, which is part of her desperate situation. Uh, She wants to be a mom so bad. Okay, let's do this. A godly mom in desperate times. We're going to walk through our story, pulling out some defining characteristics of those who are striving to live a godly life in the midst of desperate times. And let me just press into our conversation. God, we love you. You know, your word is alive and active. You know, each and every one of us, actually better than we even know ourselves. You know, our struggles, you know, our difficulties, you know, our questions, you know, our doubts, you know, our needs. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you to be present in this room, present in every chair, present as I speak, so that this will be more than just a human thing, but that something supernatural can happen because you are God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, First thing we find out in our story is that a godly mom experiences real problems. Now, as 1 Samuel opens up, we begin to find out something about this family she's a part of. Uh, There was a a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth in the hill country of Ephraim. He was a son of Jeroham, I love these names, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, Tofu, right? He invented the Tofu burger. It was called Tohu. And then when they printed up his logo, they spelled it wrong. And, you know, it was supposed to be Tohu the whole time. Okay, no. Uh, Sorry. Um, That's just me covering up the fact that I can't say hard words, right? And it didn't work. Um, Now, Cana had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Uh, Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. And so right here out of the gates, we see there's something wrong with this family, right? He had how many wives? Two. And that's a recipe for not so good, right? And, and now what most likely happened was Elkanah wanted children, but, but Hannah was unable to. So Peninnah, he married Peninnah in order for him to have children through her. And this is one of the many examples we see in Scripture of polygamy. And, and sometimes when people look at the Bible, they see things in the Bible like polygamy, and, and it's, it's fairly common in the Old Testament, and, and they think, that the Bible is endorsing polygamy. Now, just because it gives you an example doesn't mean the Bible actually endorses polygamy. In fact, every instance of polygamy in Scripture didn't work out very well for the families involved. Why? Because God's plan from the very beginning was and is one man and one woman in a marital covenant. And that's not reflected in polygamy. And again and again in Scripture, you just see all the problems that come along with it. So, So Hannah's in this difficult situation, and, and, and it's, she's desperate. She's struggling with infertility. Now, statistically, about one in six couples will struggle with infertility, and that number jumps to one in four when you're over the age of 35. And according to one study, 63% of women who experience both infertility and divorce rated their infertility as emotionally more painful than their divorce. 
In another study, women who experience either chronic illness or terminal disease rank their emotional pain of infertility on the same level to that of a terminal disease. You see, there's a sense in which, as one grief counselor explained, that when a, a person goes through a chronic illness or a terminal disease, uh, they get support. But oftentimes, when, when people are struggling with infertility, you know, people don't know, or if they do know, they, they underestimate the pain that the couple is feeling, and they end up offering platitudes that sometimes make the situation even worse. And, and not to take away from the struggle of infertility in our day, but in Hannah's context, it would have been even more difficult uh, because there was a lot of social pressure, societal pressure, economic pressure on women, even more so in that time. In fact, it was considered her primary purpose for existence, not just for her family, but for society. And, and so as a result in Hannah's day, a lot of people look upon a woman who was unable to have children and think, you know what? They, they're being punished by God. They must have done something wrong in their life. God was punishing them. And what's interesting, if you make a list of all the people in the Bible, all the women in the Bible you found that struggled with infertility for a period of time, it's a pretty good list. You, you, got, you got Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. You got Rebecca, who was Isaac's wife. You got Rachel, who was Jacob's wife. And you got Elizabeth, who was the wife of uh, John the Baptist. Again, godly moms will, capital W, experience real problems. Isn't that encouraging? Amen? <laughs> but in a way, it should be, right? Because I think too often people think, and moms particularly think, that if I'm having problems, I must not be doing something right as a mom. And understand that that many times is a lie straight from the lips of the enemy. Remember Jesus said, he was pretty clear about it, right? When he left to go be with the Father, talking to his guys. He said, in this world, if you follow me, it will be all sunshine, ponies, and unicorns, right? Is that what he said? No. He didn't. I've told you these things so that in me you'll have peace. In this world you will have trouble. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Throughout the Bible, we see countless people who are striving to live for God, who still face some significant problems and difficulties in their life. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Esther, David, Daniel, and here we have Hannah. I mean, I just wondered, you know, are there any moms, any people out there, any problems out there today, right? No, it's all good, right? How you doing? I'm fine, right? Really? And maybe it's not infertility. Maybe it's desperation over failing health or a struggling marriage or a fractured relationship. Maybe it's desperation over a rebellious child or strained finances. In this world, we will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Back to 1 Samuel, verse 3. Each year... Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. It was about a 20-mile journey for them to make. And, and you know, this verse says something to me about Elkanah and his walk with God. 
I, I, I mean, when the entire nation spiritually was headed south, he swam against the tide and took his family to worship. And, and verse 3 says that you know, the two sons of Eli, you know, they were the associate pastors at the church, so to speak. And these were not good guys. Uh, they were corrupt, right? They were corrupt, immor- and they were immoral guys, right? They, they were awful, okay? And, and none of that kept Eli, I mean, Elkanah, for going to worship God. I mean, he could have said, right, hey, no one else is going. And you know what? The, the journey's too far. The service is too early. And I don't like the pastors there anyway. So you know what? I'll just stay home and mow the lawn today, right? But that's what happened. That's not what he did. Even if no one else was going to worship and sacrifice to God, Elkanai made his family and took him to worship. Um, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and these guys should keep track of all the different ways I say these names, right? Because <laughs> I may not say them the same. Again, I think I'm up to like seven in my mind at least, right? Penina, Penina, Penina. You say Tamaita, all right? Anyhow. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Okay. Um, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all his sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And this sacrifice was a, a Thanksgiving offering where the worshipers were allowed to eat part of the offering um, that was not sacrificed to God. And this double portion he gave to Hannah, in Hebrew, literally says, uh, to show the face. Elkanah uh, uh, was showing his face, indicating that Hannah was worthy and that he cared deeply about her. You see, in that culture, honored guests were always giving a double portion. They were always giving a supersized meal. And I'm sure it had to be difficult, right? Because she probably wasn't feeling really thankful at the time, right? (laughs) You know, to take part in it. But the fact that her husband loved her that much to give her a double portion, you probably helped some. And again, Elkanah, he's trying to be devoted to God. He's not perfect. He has two wives, which led to a divided family. So Peninnah would provoke her grievously and irritate her. Because the Lord had closed her womb. That word provoke literally means to cause her to thunder. You ever try to do that to somebody? <laughs> I mean, we know how to poke the people close to us, don't we? And she knows how to poke her, right? And, and, and the word irritate refers to, to stir someone up inwardly. I, I could just hear, hey, Hannah, <laughs> could you help me with my children? I have so many. Hey, Hannah, could you help me change? Oh, do you even know how to change a diaper since you've never had a child? I can just see it. And we read year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Year after year, it was the same. Ever been there with your real problem? And each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and and she lost her appetite, right? You ever been so distraught, right? So down, so discouraged that you didn't want anything to eat. 
And, and that's the challenge, right? I, I mean, verse 7 captures the, the heart of desperation, I think. Year after year, it was the same. You see, pain, ongoing pain plus ongoing time, right? There's an equation here. Pain plus time equals what? Desperation, right? At first, we're like, hey, I can handle this problem. I can handle it. I'm tough. I'm strong. I'm capable. But then if the years pass by and nothing changes, if year after year it's still the same, the circumstance is still the same, the marriage is still the same, the broken relationship is still the same, your health is still the same, the struggle is still the same. And that's when desperation begins to take root and dig down deep into our lives. Now, verse 8, Hannah's husband, he tries to make her feel better. Basically, he says, hey, why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why be so discouraged? Because you have no children. I mean, you have me. (laughs) And aren't I better than 10 sons? Now, there are a lot of rookie mistakes taking place here. (laughs) All right? I mean, he's got two wives. He should have figured out something by now, right? He sees that she's upset, and then he tells her to not feel upset. Bad idea, fellas, right? Like, don't do that. If your wife is telling you how she's feeling, don't say, come on, you don't need to feel that way. You need to feel this way. That is not effective husbanding. Guys, get it? Good. And you're going to forget it, right? (laughs) I forget it so many times. You know, I'm supposed to just listen. And I just say, hey, no, here's why it's not as bad as you think it is. And I know better. We're just stupid, right? We're just guys, right? You know, goodness. And then not only that does he try to make her feel different, he's like, hey, I mean, seriously, Hannah, why are you upset? I mean, like, you won the husband lottery here, baby, (laughs) you know? (laughs) He says, I mean, look at me. How can you be married to me and have any problems in your life? He's trying to make her feel better. He only made her feel worse. Uh, Make her feel even more isolated because she knows he doesn't get it. (laughs) He's clueless. And she feels empty and her husband can't, he can't help her. Godly moms experience real problems. And following Jesus does not make us exempt, right? That's a lie, right? Oh, you follow Jesus and all your bills are going to be paid. <laughs> you know, all your, your, your marriage is going to be perfect. That's not, that's not reality. And Jesus never said it, right? People may say it in Jesus' name, but Jesus does not want credit for it. Is anyone here this morning facing a problem? That's making you a little bit desperate. Feeling, showing, involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. Next we see that, and and see, problems are an unfortunate part of our earthly life, but the, the key is what we do with them and where we go with them. And we see that Hannah and Hannah, that godly moms, pray bold prayers. 
Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. And, and this phrase got up, it's not talking about the fact that she changed her posture, that you know, she was sitting down and, and then she just stood up. Instead, the Hebrew carries the idea that she arose, that she had enough of living this way, and now she was going to do something different, and that she's going, to, she's going to try a different path. She's going to head in a different direction. And maybe some people need to do that this morning, right? You need to get up and try a different path and go in a different direction. And so she got up and she goes to pray and she prays this desperate prayer. And it's, a, and it's the kind of prayer you can only pray when you tried things your own way and they haven't worked. And you've tempted to fix things in your own strength and they've only gotten worse. It's the kind of prayer that you pray when you've ignored things for so long that everything's falling apart all around you. It's the kind of prayer, maybe you pray after wallowing it for so long, but then you just reach a point, year after year, it's the same, and you reach a point where you know that you've got to do something different. So what do you do? You get up, and you go to God. You get up, and you go to God. You get up, and you go to God. That's your line. You know what's coming if you've been here before, right? You get up, and you go to God. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Amen. Now, one of the things we tend to do, right, is we don't do that, right? <laughs> like, like we turn to God only after nothing else has worked. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not promoting it, but it's better than not turning to God, right? You know, I mean, anytime we turn to God, that's like a good thing, right? And so if you waited a long time, but you finally turned to God, don't beat yourself up, right? Because you, you worship a good, good father, right? That's who he is. And he's not going to say, oh, now you're coming to me? Yeah, get out of here. Now you want me in your life? That's not how he does it. Amen? He sees your desperation and he cares, Read now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorstep of the Lord's house. In her deep and anguish prayer, uh, in, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, "Lord Almighty, if you would only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of my life, and no razor will ever be used on his head." Hannah says to God, Lord, if you allow me to have a son, I will put him in the ministry. He'll serve you all the days of his life. And at first it sounds like maybe she's negotiating with God. God, I'll do this, and then you do this. But God doesn't negotiate. And God's a giver, not a negotiator. You can't negotiate with someone who doesn't really need anything. And so when she's talking to God, this is not negotiation. This is surrender, Right? This is surrender. You see, in the midst of a real problem, desperation, Hannah is saying, Lord, I've been, I've been asking and, 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 and asking for a child for me. Now I'm asking for a child for, for you. And here's the deal. And our desperation should lead us to the same place of surrender. Lord, I've been asking in the midst of this problem, in my desperation, I've been asking for me. I've been asking for my will. I've been asking for my way. Now I'm asking for you 
and for your way and for your will. Big difference. And a couple of things in Hannah's prayer is that in her desperation, she looks to God and she calls him the Lord Almighty, literally the Lord of angel armies. She's recognizing God's power, God's control, and God's sovereignty, that, that, that he can do anything that, that she can't, but, 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 God, but God can. And then she says this, Lord Almighty, if you would only look on your servant's misery and remember me. I love this. Because somewhere along the line, she learned something that's kind of hard for us to learn. I mean, we may know it here, but it's hard to get it to her heart. Uh, she learned the fact that even though God is great and he breathes out stars and holds the universe in his hands, he's so great and so powerful, but he's also the same God who, who knows the number of hairs on her head, who knows when a sparrow falls, the same God who Scripture says collects all our tears in a bottle. She learns this quality of God that God deeply cares for her and who she is and, and what she's going through. Golly, moms experience real problems. They pray bold prayers and they trust in God's provision. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound. He thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. That's how bad things had become, right? Those were desperate times, right? That happened before. People came to the temple drunk. And he thought, she's just another drunk coming here. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. And you know what phrase I really like? Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. I love it. I'm inspired by it. I'm challenged by it. Because our circumstances hadn't changed. Still didn't have a child. Peninnah was no doubt going to keep on taunting her. But after spending time in prayer, her face was no longer sad. Why? Because she had poured out her heart. She had, she had left her sorrows with the Lord, and now she's experienced that peace that passes understanding. And listen, when you wrestle with God in prayer, when you met with the one for whom all things are possible, that alone is enough to give us peace. Paul said this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, even the one you're in right now, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peter said, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And David sang, cast all your cares on the Lord. Got any? And he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. On count of three, let's say that together. That's like really good. One, two, three. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. 
Amen. Amen. Hannah was experiencing a, a real and difficult problem. She prayed a bold prayer. She trusted God's provision, and God showed up. So, of course, the time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for help. Samuel means heard of God. When her husband, Elkanah, went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, if the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband, Elkanah, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. She faced a real problem, prayed a bold prayer, trusted in God's provision. And guess what? God showed up. And guess what? God still shows up. Yeah, I posted on Facebook. I don't have time to read a bunch. And I got some inboxes that I said, moms, have you ever experienced a difficult and desperate moment as a mom and cried out to God and he showed up? Uh, One mom wrote this. Uh, Yes, many times. But the first one that comes to mind is when John was born and developed necrotizing enterocolitis. I may have said that wrong. But soon after, on the drive to the hospital, after Curtis was sent home from Iraq because John was so close to death, I remember thinking, Lord, if John dies... I'm just going to give up and die too. And immediately and loudly said to me, no, you aren't. There's a very stern dad voice. He said, you will not give up. You will get up and keep going. You don't get to just quit. And we drove on and I thought, okay, I guess that's not an option. He never told me that John was going to live and be healthy. He just said, I couldn't give up on life no matter what happened. And then he healed John quite miraculously And God has been holding me up through every mom moment since. See, God shows up. Big things, the little things. Like one mom wrote about a time when her husband was away, uh, um, kind of deployed at a workshop, and she had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, one and a half, and a baby. And she was going going to church, going to mass, and she's thinking, all right, how in the world am I going to handle all these little kids in church? God, could you please help me handle these kids? And as soon as she sat down in her pew, a lady walked up and said, hey, can I hold your baby for you? And then she was able to manage other kids. And how like she said, it wasn't how I pictured him answering the prayer. I imagined it as my children behaving like perfect little angels. Yeah. Again, five, three, and one and a half, right? It's not, that's not usually what happens. But God shows up. You know, I, I wish we had time, right, for moms to come up here this morning, mom after mom after mom after mom, right, to say, and they prayed, and, and God showed up. They prayed for their child, and God showed up. You know, I shared weeks ago during that Overcome series about when my first wife had cancer, right, and, and Judy's most desperate prayer, right, was for her children, right, you know, uh, that, that God would take care of her children, that, that someone would be there to take for her children, and the last time that my wife now, Laurie, saw Judy in ICU, Judy said to Laurie, take care of my kids. And that day, Laurie was picking them up to take to the park. But because she knew Judy, she knew that that meant always. And she just knew, I'm not going to be here for my kids. And Steve, alone, raising two kids, not going to work so well, God. And God, will you provide someone else to be their mom? And he did. He shows up, moms. Cry out to them in your desperation. And godly moms excel in keeping their promises. 
And, and Hannah kept her promise. Right? She said, she said, hey, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And after her, her son was, was weaned, guess what? She, she gave that child back to the Lord. God had kept his promise, and now she's keeping her promise. And that would be hard, right? Really hard. You know, you wanted this child for so long, now you have him, and now you're having to give him to the Lord. But yet, she kept her promise. And listen, God is... Glorified when we keep our word, especially when it hurts. Psalm 15 talks about like who can come into God's presence. It says this, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He, and one of the things is, keeps his oath even when it hurts, right? Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. And, and see, Listen, the goal of every mom, every parent should be to raise your children to trust in the Lord and to serve him with all their heart, even if it requires sacrifice. And that's what Hannah did. She kept her promise and she gave her child back to the Lord. As hard as it was. We read in verse 19. But she didn't check out. Each year her, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him. When she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. So, so Samuel grew up there, but he wore a robe that his mom had made with her own hands. And remembering all the time, just kind of let be wrapped and clothed in his mom's intense love for him. And, and, and finally, godly moms explode with praise for the Lord. And, and, and see, it, this is nuts, right? She just dropped off her son. And guess what she does on the way home? Breaks out in this tremendous praise in 1 Samuel chapter 2. There's not a hint of sadness in it. And again, I think this is what happens when we get up and we go to God. We, we cry out to him about our, our real problems. We, we trust God for his provision and we keep our promises to him. And here's what she says. It is so good. Remember, here's a mom who just dropped off her, her child. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I think she's thinking of Peninnah a little bit here. <laughs> I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There, there's no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such ignorance, Peninnah. <laughs> uh, for the Lord is a God who knows what you've done. He'll judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumble are now strong. Those who are well-fed are now starving, and those who are starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings down to the grave, but he raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He, he lifts the poor from the dust, the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He'll protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. Some of you need to hear this. No one will succeed by strength alone. 
Quit trying to do it by yourself. Quit trying to do it without God. No one, not even you, no matter how smart you think you are, no one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord by fighting against his faithful ones will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to the kings. He increases the strength of his anointed one. Amen, amen, amen. As we wrap up, you know, I was thinking through Hannah's story, and one of the thoughts that crossed my mind was, what if, what if God had answered her request the first time? And like, what if the first time she said, give me a child, God said, sure, here it is. I think things would have been completely different. I, I think he, he, Samuel may have grown up in a home where he was kind of like a pawn. He used to poke back at Peninnah, right? And, and I think Hannah may have been a lot more tempted to put her hope in her child rather than to put her hope in the, in the Lord. And, and you have to wonder if Samuel would have grown up the same way. But because God in his perfect timing allowed things to unfold the way that he did, I mean, he was raised to serve the Lord in the temple. He grew up to become a great priest and a great prophet. He rescued God's people. He served the Lord. In fact, he was like a forerunner of Christ as he rescued God's people. He anointed David to be the next king. And Hannah maintained the relationship with him. And guess what? Hannah had three more sons and two more daughters, right, that God blessed her with. And so God was working things together for good, even though, even though Hannah couldn't see it at the time. And that's how it is sometimes, right? Here's what I know. Whatever you're going through, God is working in it, right? He's always, he's always at work, right? He's always at work for your good and his glory, right? He's always at work. You can't see it. It's behind the scenes, and so she just trusted him, and, and she put her hope in him. And that's the best thing you and I can do in desperate times. And if you're here this morning, and you're in a desperate time, you're in the right place. Because this is a place where you can look to God. You can get up, and you can go to God. And reminding of his power and his strength and his sovereignty and his love. God loves you intensely. God's love is deeper than a mother's love. A matter of fact, there is something the prophet Isaiah says when Israel's like, things are going bad and God, like, you forgot us. And he goes, hey, can a, can a mother forget the child who she nursed? And the guy goes, no way. And God goes, even if she could. I'd never forget you. I'm here to tell you, moms and everybody else, because we all got stuff we go through, God has not forgotten you. It's impossible for him to forget you. Impossible. And he cares deeply for you. So if you're in a desperate time, I just want to encourage you to get up and to, to go to him. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time and God, be with and bless our moms. Encourage them. Be with and bless all of us, God, because many of us face those times that seem so 
hopeless that seem impossible for us to deal with. They're just so bad and hard. But God, we know that no one survives by their strength alone. And so God, be with each of us and what you are with us. Help us just to know it and to turn our face towards you. We need you in desperate times and good times in the valley and the mountaintops. In Jesus' name, amen.